Hi, EBF family. Today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we go on with the preaching of God's word, I want to take some time to offer up an extended prayer. This week has been heavy and... Um, I think a lot of us have been feeling that, but we can cry out to the God who hears us and who cares for us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a good father. And that means that you watch over and you care for your children. You desire to comfort us, to care for us, and to give us peace, especially in times when we desperately need it. And so we thank you that in this time that is weighing on us so heavily, we can draw near to you with our requests. Because, Lord, we confess that we feel overwhelmed by the effects of sin in the world. Our hearts are heavy and hurting as we look around our country and the world and see so much brokenness. Some of us feel helpless and overwhelmed. Some feel confused and angry. Some feel tired and lonely. Lord, how long before the suffering stops? How long before you return? How long before you make things right? And yet we also have nowhere to go, nowhere else to go. Where else could we possibly turn but you? You are the one who has the ultimate control. You are the one who reigns with gentleness and love. You are the one who hates sin and brokenness more than we could ever imagine. And so, Lord, we cry out to you on behalf of the many things weighing us down. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on our city. Have mercy on our country. Lord, we pray for Jacob Blake. We pray that you would heal him despite the doctor's prognosis that he may never walk again. We pray for his family, that you would bring peace and comfort. We pray specifically for the many in the Evanston community 
who are directly affected because of Jacob Blake's ties here, be with them as well. We pray for the service of lament that will happen later today in Evanston. Use this time to bring healing. We pray that you would bring an end to the shooting of unarmed black men and women in our country. Help us to view them as people created in your image. We pray that you would bring peace to the riots and violence that have erupted in the Kenosha community and that no more people would be harmed or businesses destroyed. We pray for the police force, that you would use them as an instrument of peace and protection for all people. And ultimately, we pray for justice to be done in this situation. Lord, we also pray for the many communities that have been affected by Hurricane Laura. We pray that you will raise up money and people to begin rebuilding what was damaged. We pray for continued protection over the many people who live in those affected areas. For those who are facing loss, whether it is loss of life or of property or of livelihood, we pray that you would comfort them and give them eternal hope in your Son. Lord, we also pray as the coronavirus pandemic continues on, we pray for a safe and effective vaccine to come quickly. We pray that you would protect our church and our community from another outbreak of the virus. There are so many strong feelings about how to live and conduct ourselves in the midst of this pandemic. Help us to be gracious, humble, and gentle in the opinions we hold and how we communicate with others. Help us to be people who put the needs and opinions of others before ourselves. Give our church wisdom about how to best care for people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs during this time. Lord, we continue to pray as our church goes through a season of tension and division. Lord, as some in the church still hold bitterness in their hearts and are struggling to want to engage relationally, we pray that you would bring healing and forgiveness. Give us the strength to pursue healthy conflict resolution, to speak the truth in love, and to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, heal the divisions in our church and restore our fellowship. I pray for the elders as they lead during this time. Give them wisdom and boldness. Give them grace and courage. I pray for Pastor Tim and the entire Allen family as he prepares to officially begin on staff this week. Help them to transition well and help him to shepherd our church through this difficult season. And Lord, as many of us are feeling tired and overwhelmed about any variety of things, we pray that you would help us to prioritize our walk with you first and foremost that we would go to your word before we open up the news or social media, that our instinctive response would be to pray, and that our souls would be nourished and fed by the bread of life. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We must draw near to you and be reminded of the freedom that is found in the gospel. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would give us hope. Many of us need it so badly. Remind us of 
your promises for our future and help us to cling tightly to those things. Help us to taste and see how good and important and beautiful your love is. Speak through me to honor and glorify Jesus. Father, we thank you that you hear us and we cry out to you because we know you are the one with the strength to answer us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's not easy or natural to transition from a time of extended prayer into the preaching of God's word, but I truly believe as God's people, this is so essential for us to do. Not only right now on on Sunday morning, but every day of the week. To turn to scripture and find comfort, hope, conviction, and ultimately to be reminded of how Christ cares for his people. Before we look more closely at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to begin with a would you rather question. You ready? Would you rather have all of the talent in the world but no love or be the most loving person in the world but have no talent? Take a second. Think about which you would choose. Would you rather have all of the talent in the world but no love or be the most loving person in the world but have no talent? For some of you, there may be an, an easy and obvious answer, and for some of you, you know, maybe you had to take a second to think about it. Thankfully, in life, this binary choice of either or is not our reality. We live in a world where you can both have talent and be loving. But when it comes to which we should prioritize and which we should care about more, I think this would-you-rather question starts to get at the heart of the issue. Which do you view as more important, being loving or being gifted? And to be honest, probably most of us know what the right Christian thing to say is. But when you look at your life, does your life display the correct priorities or are your priorities out of whack? Our passage today has a clear answer. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. We're currently in the final week of our five-week series through 1 Corinthians 13, titled Love, What It Is, How It Shapes Us, and the Heart of Christ. As we talked about when setting the context for 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the first week of the series, the, the whole chapter follows right after Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts in chapter 12. In the Corinthian church, people were caught up in pursuing their gifts, and this was hurting the unity of the church. People were flaunting their gifts, showing preference for those who had more gifts than others, and they were drifting from an attitude of love. Chapter 13 then comes as a corrective. It is Paul trying to show them a more excellent way to live as a church. The whole chapter is meant to teach the church that if you want to have unity, you must first and foremost seek to love one another. 
Love is the essential ingredient to unity. And as we've walked through the chapter, we've seen this break down into a few specific chunks. In the first sermon, we looked at the importance of love. And we saw that love is what gives ultimate significance to everything that we do. Nothing that we do will have any meaning or substance unless it is motivated by love. Then, over the last three weeks, we spent time slowly going through verses 4 through 7 and looking at the content of love and asking, okay, well, if love is so important, then what does it actually look like? And we saw that our love for one another has specific attributes and actions. It's defined by things like being patient and kind, putting others before yourselves, and being quick to forgive. And now finally, in our last chunk of the chapter that we're covering today, verses 8 through 13, we're going to look at the superiority of love. And we're going to see Paul hammer home why love is so much better than the spiritual gifts. Why love is so much better than the spiritual gifts. As we walk through the text, I want to show you all three reasons for the superiority of love. First is that love never ends. Second is that love points to our perfect future. And the third is that love is God's greatest grace. I'll repeat those one time. First, love never ends. Second, Love points to our perfect future. And third, love is God's greatest grace. So let's begin by looking at our first point. Love never ends. Look at the first part of verse 8. Love never ends. (laughs) Well, At least you know that this point is biblical. Um, I know it's not the most creative point for uh, the point one, but I truly believe that this truth doesn't need any dressing up or embellishment to get across something that is so glorious and honestly even staggering when taking into account the full weight of it. Love never ends. If we want to understand what this means for our future reality, we, should, we would do good to focus on how this re- relates to the reality of our past. The eternal nature of love stems from the fact that God is love. We, we talked about this during the first week of the series. Love, as talked about in the Bible, is not something that exists outside of God but rather it's one of his personal attributes. God in himself provides the definition and the reality of what love is. And one of the implications of the fact that love is a part of God's character is that it means that love had no beginning and it will have no end. Love had no beginning and it will have no end. From eternity past, our God has existed as the Trinity, one God and three persons, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are completely distinct, yet all fully God. And they have existed in a relationship of perfect love with one another and perfect fellowship. Love was not created, but it has always been a part of who God is and was and will always be. Then when God created the world, he invited a new character into his love, humans, who stood out from the rest of creation because they were made in his image. Yet, of course, we know how the story goes. It, It didn't take long for man and woman to belittle the love of God and sin against him. And with sin and brokenness entering our world and entering into the life of every human, so the cycle began. God loving people perfectly and people rejecting God's love in exchange for their own way. On and on and on throughout the entire Old Testament narrative. God makes a covenant with his people. His people break it. God gives his people laws to follow. They disobey. God gives his people a symbol of his presence. They make an idol. But one of the most common refrains of the Old Testament about God's love is this. His steadfast love endures forever. We read one psalm this morning in our call to worship that particularly highlights this phrase, but it's all over. His steadfast love endures forever. Though we as humans have tried and tried and tried to wear out God's love for us. His steadfast love endures forever. Through our constant forgetfulness of his commands, his steadfast love endures forever. Through our inability to recognize his provision, his steadfast love endures forever. Through our rebellion and rejection of him, his steadfast love endures forever. And his steadfast love was eternally secured once and for all when the Father sent the Son to live a perfect life in our place, die on the cross as our substitute, and resurrect in victory over death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the steadfast love was guaranteed to us by sealing us with his spirit so that God's eternal love would be with us and in us at all times, up until this day and forevermore. Now we can look forward to a future of love, of a love that will never end, a love that will continue to endure steadfastly forever into eternity And this is a love that flies in the face of the temporary and broken love that we often experience in this life. We're often far too familiar with this type of love, a love that disappoints, hurts, a love that goes its own way, a marriage that ends in divorce, best friends who become enemies, losing a loved one to death, love in this world can't overcome the effects of sin on its own. But 
love from God is a love that never disappoints, never abandons, never gives up. It endures forever. And we can look forward to an eternity more of God's love for us. Love never ends. And in this passage, the never-ending nature of love is directly juxtaposed against the temporal nature of the spiritual gifts. And this leads to our second point. Love points to our perfect future. Love points to our perfect future. Let's read the rest of verse 8 through verse 10. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. You may notice that these are some of the same spiritual gifts that were mentioned at the beginning of chapter 13. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, they all have an end date. The spiritual gifts are specifically designed for an imperfect time. They are given for the common good, as it says in chapter 12, verse 7, precisely because of the fallen nature of the world. The spiritual gifts are God giving the church training wheels so that we don't constantly fall over from our sin. However, when Christ returns and all is made new, that is when the perfect comes, there will no longer be need for these things. We will be able to ride a two-wheeler without uh, falling over ever. The church will be perfectly united and there will be no more sin or brokenness to overcome. Therefore, we will no longer need the spiritual gifts and they will cease to exist. I think it's important to reiterate, as we did a few weeks ago, that the goal of these verses is not to bash spiritual gifts. Paul is not trying to say that the spiritual gifts are wrong or bad or unproductive, but rather the comparison here is to highlight how much better love is. Love never ends, whereas the spiritual gifts do. And Paul goes on in describing why love is better than the spiritual gifts by giving two illustrations comparing our current reality with our future reality. Our current reality to our future reality. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as, even as I have been fully known. In our current reality, we act like kids. We speak, think, and reason like kids. In our perfect eternal future, we will give up our childish ways. In our current reality, we're looking into a mirror. 
So, now, this illustration doesn't translate very well into our modern context because we have mirrors that give pretty much a perfect reflection of what you see. But instead, picture your bathroom mirror after you get out of a hot shower. Our current reality is more like this. You can only see a vague outline of a reflection. In contrast, our perfect eternal future will be like seeing things face to face. In our current reality, we are living amidst brokenness and sin. Things are far from perfect and, and we long for an eternity with God where we will be able to fully experience His love. We are kids just waiting to be grown-ups. We're looking at a blur, wishing we could see things clearly. Yet, even in the midst of our broken reality, the eternal nature of love gives us a unique opportunity. It gives us the privilege to participate in this aspect of eternity right here and right now. When we love, it's like a child who says something profound and mature. Though the child is still a child, just for a moment, they seem very adult-like. When we love, it's like wiping a steamy mirror with your hand. Though it doesn't stay clear long, just for a moment, you're able to see your face clearly. Love points to our perfect future by giving us a glimpse of what's to come. Love points to our perfect future by giving us a glimpse of what's to come. When a mother comforts and consoles her crying daughter, we get a glimpse of what it will be like when our Father in heaven wipes every tear from our eyes. When a husband dies to himself and watches his wife's favorite movie with her, we get a glimpse of the love that compelled Christ to lay down his life for the church. When someone goes out of their way to write an encouragement note for a friend, we get a glimpse of the kindness of Christ. When we know the sin of another and still forgive them, we get a glimpse of what it means that God fully knows us, including every sin of our past and future, and yet is still rich in mercy towards us. When we act out any of the attributes of love described in 1 Corinthians 13, when we're patient, when we put others first, and when we believe the best in others, among others, we are showing each other in the world the kind of love that God has for us. The love that we will be totally immersed in one day. And the love that we will perfectly have for each other in eternity. How can you point someone to their perfect future in Christ today or this week? How can you reflect the love of God for another in your words and actions? When we love, we have the opportunity to participate in in an eternal activity 
reflecting the love of God for us, an opportunity to point ahead towards the teeniest glimpse even of our perfect future. And this is why love is so much better than the spiritual gifts. Love points to our perfect future. Let's move on now to our third point, the third reason for the superiority of love. Love is God's greatest grace. Love is God's greatest grace. Let's read verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In this verse, Paul moves on from comparing love to the spiritual gifts and instead compares love to faith and hope, which we'll call God's graces to us. These are all things that we have received as an undeserved gift now that we are in Christ. He grants us the faith to trust in Christ. In Christ, we have hope for eternal life. And in Christ, we can love in the way described in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love are actually a common trio in Scripture. Among other places, Paul uses them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when talking about why he is thankful for the Thessalonian church, saying we are, quote, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just, just like with spiritual gifts, Paul is not listing faith and hope to belittle them, but rather, once again, he is doing it to extol the greatness of love, how it is superior to any gift or grace that we could be given. There are, there are actually a few different interpretations for why people think love is greater than faith and hope. One possible interpretation is that love is inherently other-centered. Love cannot exist in isolation. It, it needs an object to receive its affection. In contrast, faith is a personal grace that we've been given. It's something that's personal and in, inside of us. Hope is also personal. It's, it's giving us something to look forward to and hold on to. So because love is focused on others and uh, the other and faith and hope are not. It's greater than faith and hope. That's that's one interpretation at least. The other con common interpretation is that of these three graces, love is the only one that's eternal. Faith will not last into eternity because faith will become sight. Hope will not last into eternity because our hope will be realized. Love, on the other hand, will never end. So it is greater than faith and hope. However, no matter which interpretation you prefer, it, it's clear in verse 13 that love is greater than even faith and hope. And in our lives, we should value it as such. Let us prioritize it over every gift that we could possibly desire. Let us make growth in love for God and others, our primary pursuit in life. Let us seek to have the attributes in verses 4 through 7 be the foremost words people use to describe us in our church. 
What are you prioritizing over love? What are the things in your heart that are more important right now than how much your heart longs to know and be with God? What is getting in the way of you loving others as you ought? Love is God's greatest grace. And, and this is why it's been so crucial for us to take an entire month to talk about love. We actually can't spend enough time talking about love because in this life, we will never reach the limits of God's love. We will never cover every nook and cranny of the affections that he has for his people. We will never run out of ways to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. This series has come at such a fitting time for our church. Part of that's why we picked this chapter, but part of that is, has been because uh, has been God's sovereignty for the many things that continue to come our way. I've talked about this every week, but that's because it bears repeating every week. There will never stop being opportunities for our church to have disunity. In every church, and, and maybe even in particular in our church, there will always be differences of opinion on secondary and tertiary matters. There will be differences in political opinions. There will be differences in how to conduct family life. There will be differences in how to do church, differences in how to live during a pandemic. And that's okay. It really is. But in order for differences to not become division, we need love. In order for conflicts to not become rifts, we need love. In order for preferences to not become red flags, we need love. But we don't just need a generic, worldly kind of love. And that's why we spent time talking this month about what love is, according to God's Word. We haven't exhaustively covered everything that the Bible has to say about love, but particularly, particularly what love looks like for churches facing disunity. Yet we haven't only talked about love at a head level. We've talked about how love shapes us what love in action looks like, how we should treat others, and how the Holy Spirit gives us the strength we need to truly love others well. And finally, we've looked at the purest source of love, the heart of Christ. How every single word and action from Jesus was driven by love. How he deals gently with those who sin. How he bears with us in our sin, and seeks to draw us to himself. I truly believe that the greatest thing that our church needs right now is to have our, our hearts shaped by a love that is biblical, Christ-honoring, others-centered, and self-sacrificial. 
We need a love that is overflowing with Christ's love, a love that lays down our lives for the sake of our church. My prayer for everyone who calls EBF home is that we would use this season right now to allow God's love to transform our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That we would be in a constant posture of repentance of our unloving ways. And that as a result, we would grow in our love of God and love of others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your never-ending steadfast love. As we conclude this series, help us grow in love for you and love for others. I pray that you would shape and mold our church into the image of Jesus and that we would reflect his love. And when we inevitably mess up, help us to rest in the gospel truth that our identity doesn't come from our level of success, but from Christ. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.